Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Let me end the DNA Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today, I have a really special guest, Mr. Ryan Sprague, cannabis coach, host of Highly Optimized, and he has a whole bunch of other things that he does, but I know I'm going to butcher it, so I'll let Ryan introduce himself. Welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man, so much. I'm so excited to be here, Len. And yeah, you know, what I really love doing in life is, you know, I love connection, collaboration. And so, of course, you know, I couldn't have one podcast. I had to have two. The other one being this one time on Psychedelics. Of course, with that name, uh, it already makes it pretty aware that I enjoy plant medicines and the conscious, responsible use of them. Uh, my whole thing in life, you know, is really all about uh, highly optimizing my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. And so, I worked in the industry for years, the cannabis industry, as a cultivator and patient care advocate, um, and really like how I got into cannabis. Cause a lot of people ask me like, Ryan, why cannabis, right? Out of all the plant medicines, out of all the different types of optimization you can do, why cannabis? And so really where this starts is, you know, when I was 16, I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, nothing worked. And as a last ditch effort at the recommendation of a friend, I tried cannabis and lo and behold, it worked. And by worked, I mean, it helped me feel how I describe it now is more connected to myself. And so I thought that was great, but it wasn't until a few years later when my father got diagnosed with terminal cancer and him and I were really close that I really understood and saw and had the direct experience of what cannabis can do. Because during that time, my father was not a cannabis consumer all of his life. During this time, he chose not to take treatment and he also was going to keep smoking cigarettes and living his life. So I helped him through end of life with RSO, AKA FICO, full extract cannabis oil. And through that time, I got to connect with him deeper, hear stories I had never heard before. I got to watch him connect deeper to his grandchildren, his other children, my mother, and his own mortality. And so through that, I really was able to see what the power of this plant is. And at that point, I decided, okay, I want to be the one that really helps people understand this side of cannabis because it has many sides, right? And there's many different ways to use it. 
But when I went to cannabis uh, school, which is a funny thing to say, but I went to this cannabis education center where I started learning these things. And that's where I learned about organic regenerative agriculture, Korean natural farming, biodynamic farming, and also how to work with cancer patients and all a myriad of different diseases with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so after that, uh, my father passing and me uh, leaving the cannabis school, I got into the industry, worked there for five years with over 5,000 patients. And at a certain point, I realized in order to give the individual care that I was looking to give, I would have to go out on my own and start my own business. And so in 2019, Highly Optimized was born. That whole story is pretty funny too. We can get in there if you want. But really from that, I started the podcast right off the bat, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had a psych background that I wasn't using. And I thought up until this point, oh, that's just something I did. And it's not really going to come to fruition. I didn't want to wear khakis the rest of my life. So I knew I didn't want to be a therapist. So I knew that, you know, when I got into my own business, I met a uh, gentleman by the name of Mark England, who asked me, hey, have you ever thought about coaching before? And I didn't really know what he meant. I was like, do you mean like, you know, like coaching sports? Like, I didn't really know what it meant. And over the next three months, I went through his level one program, fell in love with the idea of coaching. It was the missing component to what I had learned in psychology uh, that I was really yearning for this individualized care where I was looking to, you know, push people forward rather than have them go back to their past. Because like I always say, it's a comeback, not a go back when we want a higher quality of life. And so through that, you know, the next year and a half was me kind of figuring things out and taking different certifications and traveling all over the world. And last May, uh, after a lot of different retreats and one-on-one -on -one work where people kept asking me about cannabis and this thing just wouldn't leave. And it wasn't that I wanted it to leave, but I just didn't know that, you know, you could coach and do cannabis. And so I really invented the idea of cannabis coaching. And so from that, the Connect with Cannabis program is born. And it's really a 12-week program designed to help people reimagine cannabis as the powerful tool for self-development and self-awareness it can be in order to gain deeper connection in their lives. Because I truly feel that we don't have an epidemic of loneliness right now. We have an epidemic of an inability to connect deeply to yeah. ourselves, others, you know, those we love in our life, the important work we're doing in the world and the world at large. And so that's really my mission and how I got to the screen with you today here, Len. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you just basically had all the points I want to ask you in. Uh, so never mind, we're done. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, I, I want to I dive deeper in certain parts of what you said. But before yeah. that, let's get to know you a little bit. Where did you grow, grow up? Mm, great question. So I am a Bostonian, which most people are like, where's the accent, right? I don't get the accent unless uh, sometimes I'm really medicated and sometimes it will come out from around certain people will come out. But I grew up 20 minutes south of Boston. And so I was far enough away from the city that I wasn't in the hustle bustle, but I was close enough that I could go to concerts and, you know, be a part of the, you know, the hustle bustle if I wanted to. And so I grew up in uh, south of Boston, have been here my whole life, still reside here today. And, you know, aside from the winter, I really love it here. You know, we have all the seasons and I don't even mind like a month of winter, but once January 1st comes around, I'm checked out. I want to yeah. be back. We talked about this on our intro call, right? You're from Philly. So you get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The weather is the worst. I, you know, oh, it's brutal. <laughs> especially like, you know, some people have genetic predisposition to seasonal mood problems and they live mm -hmm. in these climates and it exacerbates that during that time. And you're sort yeah. of, if you're prone to, you know, depressive states and you have all these different things, like you have those, uh, you know, the, that winter depression or whatever the hell they call it. And people, should really, <laughs> yeah. sh people should really know that about themselves before they choose where they're going to live because that climate yes. makes a, a lot of difference. So wh what was your childhood like? Man, you know, I talk about this a lot and this is one of the, uh, this, is, this will lead to something funny. So my childhood was absolutely amazing. My parents hit it out of the park. I grew up next to um, triplets, right? So three brothers that became my best friends. I met them when I was four, they were two. And it was great because it was like I had three brothers, but I got my own room, right? So like they were here every day, all day, we'd have sleepovers, all this stuff. And so, you know, we, I live on wetlands. And so where my parents' house was on wetlands. And so, you know, they live right next door. It's all wetlands. So imagine you're a kid, right? My school was right behind my parents' house and uh, there was wetlands everywhere. And so we would adventure, we would have all of these amazing games of Relivio and Manhunt and Army and all this fun stuff. And so it was really cool, man. And, you know, we had all the neighborhood kids and my parents' house was always the place they wanted everyone to come hang out there because then at least they knew where we were and what we were doing. So it was really fun, man. You know, I mean, 
you know, I grew up with uh, one of the brothers was a late uh, night owl like I was. And so we would play video games until two, three in the morning. I mean, just the picture perfect childhood. And it made it really challenging because when I got into all this inner child healing work and, you know, I heard other people at the retreats I was going to really going through the motions and talking about some terrible stuff that their parents did. I'm like frustrated because I'm like, I got nothing, you know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I really can't figure out one thing my parents did quote unquote wrong. They weren't perfect, but they always showered me with affection. They told me, you know, how much they loved me constantly. And so I had a really, really powerful childhood. And uh, I really credit, you know, my parents a lot with me being the person I am today. Yeah. I, I, it's so important to have that, uh, you know, the healthy relationship with your parents, because I'll bring, it brings up sort of an, an analogous story because I want you to talk about this. We have a very similar story about our, our fathers discovering our cannabis use. Mm. Uh, so my story is when that happened, uh, my parents ended up calling the cops on me and then kicking me out of the house. So that was the reaction. Wow. That was their reaction. And it came full circle now because they've used cannabis and everything else, but they were, uh, miseducated or uneducated about the plan, but you had a different story about when your father discovered your cannabis use. Uh, maybe you can enlighten us with that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it was funny because once, you know, I was around 16 and, you know, my friends were coming over and we were partying, you know, we'd have these car parties in my parents' driveway. We had a big driveway. And so in the winter, it would be like seven or eight cars and, you know, people would just get out of one car, go to the next and be different groups in every car. And, you know, people would be drinking, nothing crazy. We were never out of control, right? Because again, we kind of had, my parents never allowed us to do it, but they kind of knew, but they were like, we'd rather than do it here. So none of us ever got out of control. We were always very responsible, but we got to have a little bit of fun. And so, you know, uh, at this time, this is actually part of the story I've never told before. So I'm excited you asked me this. So we built this fort in, uh, in the wetlands in the back of uh, my parents' house. And this fort, we literally, my friend found a hundred dollars, uh, in his, in his closet that he had forgotten about from like communion or something like that. And so we went to home Depot and, uh, we bought a bunch of like the worst quality plywood you could possibly buy. And we stapled this thing together pretty much. And we had electricity running out there. I mean, it was pretty ridiculous. And so we would throw these big parties back there. Well, one morning, uh, at my parents' house, you know, there was uh, cops doing road work in front of the house. And so there's us five times a day walking, you know, into the wetlands and holding stuff in our shirt, bongs and whatnot. And, uh, and so finally, one of the cops got curious, walked back there, knocked on the door. Uh, one of them thought it was me. He opens the door and he's like rolling weed. And the cop's like, hey, what's that? And he goes, it's not real. It's fake, right? And the cop goes, I think it's pretty real. Cop didn't care, right? He was just like, I'm going to go tell your parents. Told my dad. My dad, of course, made a stink, went out there, broke the fort, broke my bong too. He didn't know it was mine, but uh, he broke my bong. And uh, and so that was kind of like the first time he became aware of it. And he was like, hey, you know, uh, I just don't want you doing it, yada, yada. So I didn't admit it. I was like, oh, that none of that was mine. I have no idea. Like when I go back there, I had a couple of beers, but I was never, you know, interacting with cannabis. So fast forward about two years later, I wake up one morning, I'm cleaning my car, moving all around, right? And I go to the, go to the bathroom and I pee straight blood. Like, I mean, it wasn't straight blood, but it looked like it because, you know, a couple of drops in urine will look like, like complete blood. And so I freaked out, uh, told my parents, my dad brought me to the hospital on the way there. He asked me, are you doing drugs? I just have to know. And I said, no, but I am interacting with a lot of cannabis. Because at that point I was, I was interacting with a lot of it. It was helping my anxiety. So I was using it pretty much all day. And I saw him have a, like a sigh of relief. Like he was kind of like, oh. And I was like, that's interesting. And so we didn't really talk about it much more. But once he, we got to the hospital, I get set up in my bed, whatever, they're figuring stuff out. And so like my parents brought my laptop there so I could have something to do because I was pretty freaking out. You know, I had anxiety, of course. So I was like, you know, obviously like using this as an excuse to just go down every rabbit hole possible. And so my dad hung out with me. And so I was like, hey, do you want to watch a movie with me? And he was like, sure. And I think it was either Zeitgeist or one of those movies that was out back in like, you know, 20, God, this is probably 2010, 2009, 2010, where um, they were talking about how cannabis wasn't what people learned it was or what taught it was. And so he watched it with me and he was like, huh, interesting. You know, like that's, that's very interesting. Like, I guess I was wrong. And, you know, from that point forward, you know, I told him like, listen, I'm using this for my anxiety, you know, like, and he was like, well, you're getting good grades in school, you know? what you're doing like you're fulfilling all your responsibilities you have a job like 
hey, you're pretty much an adult now. Like, how, who am I to tell you not to? And I was like, really? And he was like, listen, you know, I've been around long enough to realize that not everything I agree with is going to be what works for other people. If this is working for you, and I've seen this now, and there's science out there and everything like that, maybe I was wrong, you know? And so once that happened, my father and I got to grow a lot closer. I didn't have to hide my cannabis use anymore. And, uh, and it was really a fun connection because then he was like, well, you know, like, what is it about cannabis? What do you like about it? And he was never interacting with it with me. But through that time, I ended up finding out about this cannabis school. And uh, I went home and I was like, hey, could you help me pay for this? Because I was a broke college student. And I knew at that point, I'm like, this is calling me. And so he ended up paying for it and signing himself up too. And so we went to cannabis school together. And it was just like such great father son bonding experience where we got to meet so many people. And my dad, is where I got all of my like, you know, socialness from and charisma from and everything. He was just a man. And so like, he was teaching me so much about just how to, you know, how to network and all of these things. And so it was a really beautiful experience. And, you know, we got to meet so many cancer patients who were curing their own cancer with RSO and FICO. And uh, we got to learn about cultivating. And, you know, in 2012, when I went medical, I went and got my license and I convinced him eventually to buy me a kit to grow. And we tried growing. It was terrible. And that's actually when I got into the cannabis school. After that, he was like, all right, well, you know, this makes sense. This is a hobby you want to explore. Let's get into it. And so for the next two or three years, we were doing that uh, pretty much every week. We were going there. We we're going to their workshops and everything. And it was just super fun. So that's the story of how my dad found out I was using cannabis and how, you know, to his credit, he didn't have any cognitive dissonance over it. He was like, hey, I don't really know, know why I thought it was bad. I just was told it was bad. Now I'm seeing science saying it's actually not nearly as bad as I was thinking. So who am I to go against science, you know? And so it was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's great to know that he was open-minded. Uh, some people are a little closed off and it takes some time until they have a personal experience. And, uh, you know, I understand that you and your father did have a personal experience and uh, he was mm. diagnosed with cancer. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that story and how you found out and sort of what happened after that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is something I love chatting about because I imagine many people listening, you know, cancer is something that no matter who you are, you know, someone who's been affected or you yourself has been affected. And so, you know, I feel it uh, allows people to relate to, to why I got into cannabis. And so, you know, uh, in 2014, I went to my first music festival. And uh, at this point, I was so into music. I was a musician, all this stuff. But I went out to Vegas and went to a uh, music festival called Electric Daisy Carnival Las Vegas. So big, big fun, you know, and it was a great time. And it was the first time I tried another type of medicine, which was MDMA. And at this point, I was like, I was very careful, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a health nut at this point, right? I had gotten, you know, my, my physical body in shape and all these things. So I'm like, and, and my only experience with MDMA was going to clubs and seeing people make some, you know, what I would call challenging life decisions, you know? And so I was like, you know, I don't know. But at this rate, we were going with really good friends. Everyone was prepared. They, you know, they tested everything. We knew it was going to be okay. So I was like, all right, you know what? If I'm going to try it, I'm in Vegas. I'm at this music festival. It's with my best friends who are also like, it's their first time. Like, why not? Right. So we interact with this medicine. And I remember feeling a really deep pain in my heart uh, about halfway through a certain set. And I remember like thinking about it and being like, this is weird, you know, but I mean, everything was so new because, you know, the first time you try something, you're like, well, maybe this is just part of it. But it connected me with my dad and I, don't, I didn't know why. And so when I got home a couple of days later on June 22nd, I woke up, I went outside to help him with yard work like I did every day. It was around the time we were, you know, it, I think we had just opened the pool. So he was, you know, skimming the pool. And I saw him on the deck. And when I went out to like open the door and I saw him through the glass, just something felt strange. It was almost one of those times where you have a glitch in the matrix and you're like, what's about to happen right now? And so I go out there, I start talking to him and he's being a little quiet. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? Right. And he was like, well, I got some news. Right. And I was like, okay, what's up? Thinking like, you know, is the business doing better? Like what's happening? You know? And, and he was like, well, I got diagnosed with terminal cancer and they say I have two months to live. And I was like, what? And I had no idea how to handle that. Cause like, I, I, at first it was a joke to me. I was like, you're joking. Then immediately I realized it wasn't a joke, but my body couldn't understand that it wasn't a joke. Like logically I understood my dad would never joke about that, but my body was like, nah, that's not real. That's not real. And so over the next couple of weeks, you know, I kept just like trying to be around him. But every time I was around him, I started noticing myself being like, oh, I'm going to go clean my car, even though I'd already cleaned it that day. I'm going to go uh, rake the leaves, even though there was no leaves, right? I just kept finding myself trying to stay busy. And so I was like, what is happening here? And, you know, it was actually uh, one night when I sat with cannabis that, 
you know, I started to get an insight of like, okay, there's something here, but I don't know what it is yet. And then over the next couple of weeks, my father started experiencing some pain. And so I started working with him with RSO because at that point, like I said, you never connected with cannabis. And so, you know, I was sitting with him a lot to make sure that he was okay. He was asking me questions. Is my face supposed to feel fuzzy? I'm like, yeah, it's normal. You know, like you're fine. So we'd watch funny movies. And that's where like in that time, I experienced so much connection with him. We're like, literally there was times where he would just look at me and be like, what do you think happens when you die? And I was like, I don't know. And he'd be like, I don't know either. You know, he's like, do you think it'd be fun? And I was like, I don't know. And it was like, there was like this, this connection where it was almost funny. Right. And it wasn't funny in the sense of like, of course, my dad had cancer. It wasn't funny, but it was almost like it allowed us to take a lot of the pressure that society puts on death off of us and just talk like two human beings, two friends about what was going on. Like it was an adventure that he was about to embark on rather than an ending. And I think that was something that, you know, really when that started happening, I had to watch him like be stoned and connect so deep with his grandchildren and just lose sense of time and not be worried about the things he was usually worried about. I got to see my dad really transform it into what I believe was his full self. And at this point, you know, my dad was a businessman his whole life, always go, go, going. And it was almost like when he got diagnosed with cancer, he actually got to start living in a really backwards way. And so we ended up prolonging his life a year past when they had given him uh, as a termination date. And through that time, not only did he get to have this incredible connection, healing um, ability that cannabis brought to him, but he also got to keep his hair. He got to keep his dignity. He got to keep all the things that he wanted to keep about his sense of self before he transitioned. And, you know, it really taught me a lot about how you know, love to really love someone is to love them for who they are and where they're at. And I noticed that, you know, looking back, one of the things that cannabis taught me was that the biggest challenge that I was facing was not that he was diagnosed with cancer, but it was that I had a different story of how he was supposed to die. He wasn't supposed to die then. It should be happening a different way. And in reality, there's no going back, the, you know, there's no coulda, shoulda, woulda. It's just happening, right? It's neutral and it's your belief system and your perspective on it that gets you to see it in the way that it's framed. And so through that time, I really got to, you know, change my perspective on the whole concept of death. And it's funny because, you know, I watch other family members of how they've dealt with his death. And again, no judgment, but like some of them got ruined to the point where like they, they stopped living at that point. And I, you know, of course you can say like, Hey, that person would never want you to do that. But if you're really stuck there, like I was feeling when it first happened, I could really see like, there, it's not just something you logically tell someone to go, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. It's something where they actually get stuck in the past. And so cannabis helped me tune into the present moment and be more okay with where I was at and know that, Hey, if this is happening, this is exactly what should be happening. Not because I can prove it, but because I choose to believe that because life I really believe is just what you choose to believe about life. You can choose to believe the earth is flat might not change the scenario, but if it helps you to believe that, then do it. Right. And so it was a really big learning experience for me. Yeah. I want to, if you don't mind, I want to dig into this a little yeah. bit uh, more, it, more from your perspective and because mm -hmm. the, the way that you're connecting to this, it seems like you've done some self work on this. So mm -hmm. even, even things you're coding. So like for me, I'm a big student of like Tony Robbins. I used to coach with Anthony Robbins, uh, Institute and some of the things that you were saying resonate because it sounds like, you know, that's what I heard at UPW or some of the other uh, coaching sessions. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about your own self-work because it it is you you gave a great example. Some people just made a choice to sit in that. And you mm -hmm. said, I'm going to use that as a vehicle to work on me, improve whatever it is, and then transitioning and provide this to others so I can yes. share that. So this would, but it takes work and people, people are in that in the moment. And you, you know, there's, there's emotion, obviously there's grief, there's all these different things that go through that. So what was your journey uh, like in trying to transition through that in yourself and then sharing that with others? Yeah, I love, this is the stuff I love talking about more than anything because everyone's journey is going to be a little different. But what I found is that when I hear other people talk about challenges in their life, there might be one thing that I hear that I go, oh, that just helped me. And it like integrated something for me. And so my hope is that by sharing what I'm about to share, someone clicks in and goes, oh, that makes a little bit of sense for me. Right. And they get curious. And so, you know, this, 
journey of, you know, coming to terms with my father's passing, it definitely didn't happen overnight and it happened in stages. And so, you know, really what I credit it for is, you know, a lot of, uh, at this time in my life, I wasn't working. Uh, and so I had a lot of time to really be with myself by myself. And during that time I was interacting with cannabis and I was going on a lot of walks. Um, and, and, you know, one of my mentors has a saying that says walking is integration. And I think it's really like there's a metaphor to walking, right? Where you're putting one foot in front of the other, and it might be a long walk you're taking, but it happens step by step. And so that's really how I look at this journey I went on, where there were many different things where at that age, I was exercising, I was eating right, I was doing all like the, the, the check the box things to be healthy. But when this happened, I started realizing those things were not going to really help me mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And so, you know, when I started getting into meditation and breath work and affirmations, and this was like elementary, right? Like I wasn't by any means going into this and meditating five hours a day. I was just exploring these things. Wait, they allow you to do that. They allow you to do that in Boston and not judging you. (laughs) That's an LA, that's an LA thing. People in Boston don't do that shit. That's that's why I say I'm an anomaly here, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. My whole life, people were like, yeah, you're from California, right? I'm like, nope, uh, born and raised in Boston. They're like, you are an anomaly. You know, how does this make sense? And so through this time also, I remember there was a couple experiences where, um, where my father was sick, where I was in the same house as him and people hear this part and they're like, how did you manage to do this? And I honestly don't know. Um, I don't know if it was just like, maybe I was, uh, not noticing how severe the situation was, or I don't know what it was, but I remember I did a couple high doses of mushrooms, uh, in, in the same house that my father was in. And I remember that those high doses, I remember one of them brought me to this beautiful, golden uh, room, if you will, right? Where I would have my eyes closed and I just felt surrounded by this golden light. And I remember my grandmother was there. And I remember that when I came out of it, you know, I had already, uh, I was already dealing with it, what I would imagine well. Now by well, maybe I wasn't looking at it. I mean, it wasn't like ruining me, put it that way. But after this experience, I just knew objectively in my own experience of life that I'm like, oh, where he's going is fine. Like that's, that's, that's fine. Like, this isn't a big deal, Like you know what I mean? And, and I remember that I was doing it with some friends and, you know, they came out of it kind of having a similar experience too, where they were like, wow, yeah, like I experienced that. I don't know what it was. I mean, we're like 23, 24. So like, you know, we didn't really know what the hell we were experiencing, but I remember coming out of that and being like, that definitely, like, I'm not worried about death the same way I was before. I'm still obviously a human. I don't want to die, but I wasn't worried about it as much because like the messages I was getting there, whether it be from my higher self, whether it be, if you want to look at it through physiology, whatever you want to do, the experience was real for me. And it allowed me to speak to some of my ancestors and realize that, you know, okay, like, uh, death is just another beginning, right? It's not actually an end. It might be an end in this realm, but it's the beginning of a new chapter in a different realm. And so that made logical sense to me. I was like, oh, you know, I'd heard plenty about reincarnation and I'd studied a lot of different spiritual practices and whatnot at that time. And so after that experience, that really shifted me as well. And then cannabis would fill in the gaps, right? Where say I would forget for a moment of that experience. I would interact with cannabis. And at this point, I wasn't really using it uh, intentionally per se. I was getting it right sometimes, getting it wrong. Other times it would work great, then it wouldn't work. And so, you know, through that time, I was starting to ask cannabis just like off the top of my head, like, what did I experience there? And then it would bring me a shade of that experience again. And I would be like, nope, that's definitely still there. And that's definitely real. And so as I continued to uh, get curious and ask questions, and what I've always said about myself is, you know, I was raised on Sega Genesis. So I've been a button masher since the days of Mortal Kombat. So what I like to do is I like to mash buttons of life and see what happens. And so I would try breath work, meditating. I would try interacting with cannabis and meditating. I would try taking mushrooms and doing breath work. Like I would try all these random things and just button mash and see what worked. Sometimes I would be like, okay, I'm not going to do that one again. Sometimes I'd be like, wow, I really liked that one. And so around this time, you know, I also started connecting a lot more and being more of what I would call my authentic self. And I started connecting with more people who I felt uh, were like-minded. And I was fortunate that my childhood friends, we've always stayed really close, but I started like, you know, going to the cannabis school and all these things and started meeting more and more people that were sharing similar belief systems as I. And I think this is a big component of it because what are other people, what I choose to believe they are is just reflections of ourselves and vice versa, right? What am I? Just reflections of other people. And so your ability to connect with other people allows you to realize you're not alone. And if you're not alone, well, then where are you? 
your everything and nothing at the same time. And so when I realized that, that really allowed me to apply that to meditation, to breath work, to cannabis, to all of these things. And it really accentuated my experience of life in a big way. And, you know, I would say when I started my own business, that's when I really started getting into a lot of like the quote unquote work, right? At this point, I was just doing it off YouTube and things like that. And I was getting some things right, getting it wrong. I was doing what I loved. So that helped as well. But once I started my own business, the pandemic happened. And, uh, and the, after that, uh, you know, I started my own business, pandemic happens. I do in lifted level one, which is Mark England's program. Uh, I then do in lifted level two later on in that year. And then in August, Mark hits me up and he goes, Hey, I'm having some people down to my lake house in Virginia. You should come. So let me know when you're coming in and I'm going to pick you up, not take a no for an answer. I'm like, okay. So I buy my ticket. I go down there. I meet a bunch of people. Like I'm talking like, like I just got into this coaching realm. I feel like a newbie. I meet all these people. I'm like, whoa, these people are really cool. This is amazing. Like next level up of like, you know, like, oh, I'm getting warmer, you know, because I really think the universe just plays this big game of warmer, colder with us, you know? And so I get there and I just have this feeling of my heart, like, whoa, I feel really secure here. And, uh, and so I'm learning from them, asking them questions. And one of the guys goes, Hey man, I'm hosting a men's retreat in Colorado in three weeks. You should totally come. And I'm like, okay. So I say yes to that. I go to that, have amazing experiences with some people I've been, you know, watching online and all of this stuff. And one of my buddies there one night, all this happens in one night. I, uh, I'm staying up late because I'm a night owl. And uh, I'm talking to my buddy, Danny Rios from the strong coach. And he's like, just schooling me with coaching stuff. And I blow my mind. He's another five, one projector. If you know, human design, I'm a five, one projector. Yeah. So we're just talking. At that point, this, this gentleman that I just met, Alex Morningstar, he's laying on the floor doing myofascial release to himself. And so Danny's talking to me all about plant medicines. He's like, dude, you do this cannabis stuff. Like, why haven't you thought about bringing that in? Like, I don't know. I never thought about it. So the next day, uh, Alex brings me outside and he's like, Hey man, I'm hosting a retreat in Oregon and I would love for you to facilitate it with me. And I'm like, okay. So the same time Danny asked me, Hey, I'm going to Mexico in two weeks. You should come. I'm going for like, you know, a good while. I'm like, all right. So I call my girlfriend, like, you want to go to Mexico? She's like, sure. So I go to Mexico. I have this incredible experience eating peyote in the mountains of Monterey and just like going to Tulum and swimming in underground caves. And I'm just following my heart. After that, I go to Oregon, I host retreat. Mark gets me up. He's like, I'm doing another lake house. Cool. Go right there. And this literally happened, Len, for the entire next 18 months. It's still happening now. Like literally, it's <laughs> I'm saying yes to everything. And I think that during that time, I went through so much development and surrounded myself with people who were also doing that, that my whole life has become that now, where I don't get stuck into the healing archetype of like healing has to be heavy, but I I see healing as light and fun. And so during that time, Alex became my business partner. You know, we started connect with cannabis together. We started hosting retreats. And I tell everyone, everything I do is scary at this point, but I've learned to make friends with fear because fear is when I truly feel alive. And I see it as false evidence appearing real because I have enough experiences now where I go, well, I was afraid of that. And that wasn't actually scary. And I was afraid of that. And that wasn't actually scary. So what's the worst? Like, I'm not going to say what's the worst thing can happen, but like, what am I really afraid of? Right. It's like what failing? Cool. Whatever. I just, I, I do either win or learn. And so I think really it was all the different things combined, you know, connecting with people that made me feel like I wasn't uh, alone in the way I thought, you know, doing deep language work and story work and inner child healing, which again was really frustrating because I didn't know what to heal. Um, you know, getting into the modern mystery school and doing a lot of spiritual development and DNA activations and initiations and all of these types of things. Um, getting into Joe Dispenza's work, um, you know, working with uh, Angela at Alpha Hippie and doing divine masculine development. I mean, everything has played a part into it. But, you know, I am fully, totally, ridiculously obsessed with seeing like what what the ceiling is of how 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 close I can get to my true authentic self. And so far, I haven't found the limit. But at the same time, it's really fun doing it. And so that's a little bit of the story as to what I believe has been a huge part of uh, me getting to where I am today and being able to move through these things healthily, healthy. Yeah, I, I think it's a great example of, you know, people think personal development. Oh, you know, what does that mean? Uh, somebody's going to rah-rah. It really isn't like that. It's, you know, you tell this, I heard somewhere, I'm trying to ask this question in a in a layered way. So first of all, anxiety. I want to talk about how anxiety manifests itself and how it did manifest itself. And then you talk about this a story about 
um, if I, let me see if I get it right. It's an analogy about stressed meat or something like that. And you actually, and you talk about how that manifests in cannabis as well. So, yes. So I'm going to ask this question this way. A lot of people take cannabis for anxiety. A lot of people get anxiety when they consume cannabis. So, you know, I look at it from a genetic standpoint. So some people have genetic predispositions, certain amount of THC mm-hmm. and different terpene profiles can exacerbate the genetic predisposition where they can mm-hmm. experience stress reactivity epigenetically because we know that. But you also have like, does it matter this whole stress that you're putting into the plant, how you cultivate the plant? Is that part of it? And we can't see it under certificate of analysis. How are we ever going to know that? So I want you to kind of talk about that because I find that a really, really fascinating, unique angle. Yeah, man, I love this. You're asking great questions, Len. So, uh, you know, it is, you know, like when we look at cannabis and anxiety, right? Or cannabis and depression or cannabis and paranoia or really anything in life. I think a lot of us, because we're in a left brain dominant society, look at it very linear, linear. But in reality, everything is multifaceted, right? Because object and subject don't have any separation. And so a lot of it is what we choose to believe about our cannabis experience. So if we believe that cannabis gives us anxiety, because maybe one time it did, and maybe it did because either we were already had anxiety within us and cannabis acting as a mirror, you know, brought down our default mode network and our ego and allowed us to see objectively what was already living within us. And then we placed the story of that feeling as anxiety onto it. Because here's the thing, right? What makes a feeling anxiety versus excitement? Because we know there are very similar response in the nervous system. Well, it's the story we have upon it. So if someone says that a certain feeling is anxiety, well, then if they interact with cannabis and they feel an upregulation in their nervous system, they might correlate that as anxiety when in reality, someone else might feel the same thing and go, holy shit, I'm so excited right now, right? And so that's one angle to it. The other angle is that, like you were saying, there is this whole component of, and shamans talk about this, that when you're interacting with a plant medicine, a psychedelic or, or any type of you know intoxicating plant, whoever grew that plant, you are interacting with the level of consciousness they are at. So where they're at emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, and physically is what you're going to be interacting with. And what I always say is, you know, if someone is growing the plant with anxiety, even if your experience, right, even me, for instance, right, if I'm interacting with a plant that was grown by someone who maybe was experiencing anxiety, I'm going to have to pay a quote unquote tax on that plant before I can access it. I'm going to have to move through their consciousness before I can access like my own experience with it. And so how I relate this is that, you know, if the same way that if you're conventionally farming meat, right, and those animals are scared, and they're being fed terrible food, and they're really anxious, and then you kill that meat, and then someone eats it, they're going to have that stress uploaded into them because that's just how it works, right? Genetically and, you know, physiologically. And so it's the same thing with cannabis. Add into the picture the fact these big companies, those multi-state organizations, you know, when you meet a lot of millionaires, you realize that like a lot of them that are in finance, Wall Street, et cetera, they're fucking miserable, right? And they're usually, you know, have a terrible diet. They're drinking a lot. No judgment, but just very curious observation that when these people run a cannabis company, and they're only worried about the bottom line, and therefore they're putting salt-based nutrients, which who knows what the energy in those things is, right? On a on a spiritual level, mm-hmm. you know, they're putting that into the plants, and then the plants are being grown under HID lights with all the EMFs and all of these things, and they're not balancing it out with systems like biogeometry. And then you have people in there working for nine dollars an hour that are like, you know, not really caring. They're showing up to work still drunk, whatever, right? Like all of these things add up. And so like that plant is extremely sentient, right? I think, you know, one of the one of the common challenges is that we see animals as sentient, but we don't yet see plants as a society as sentient, but they're extremely sentient. And cannabis specifically is a very high vibrating plant. And so it's going to be able to pick up on the energies around it. And, you know, a great experiment to kind of bring this down to a scientific level, if anyone's curious, is you can look up people that put uh, electrodes on plants and allow them to sing music. And you can notice that when someone walks in the room with like a heavy vibe, that music changes. And so there's ways to actually like scientifically uh, correlate what I'm talking about to an actual causation. But at the same time, you know, if you've experienced, um, you know, cannabis that was grown, even just under grow lights that weren't balanced out, you can feel the little bit buzziness to them. Yeah. And Paul Check is famous for saying this too. And, 
you know, so that's why I, I highly recommend everyone grow their own plants. And that's why I'm so fascinated and excited to, you know, create the next course I'm in the middle of creating right now, which is grow with cannabis, which is going to teach you how to form a sacred union with the plant through cultivating it. Because if you look into the Yakwe Indians and, uh, you know, the many different indigenous cultures, they weren't interacting with plants that their tribe or them themselves did not grow. You know, the Yakwe Indians, they would each, they would each grow their own uh, blends of herbs and they would only interact with the blends they had made because when you're inter when you're giving your energy to that plant and that plant is reciprocity with you and reciprocating, you know, you form a bond with that the same way, you know, not the same way, but similar to how you raise a child or you have a pet, right? Like that pet knows you. And so the plants are the same way. And it's really interesting because, you know, once I started growing my own plants and then I started trying to interact with stuff at the dispensary I was working at, it was night and day. And so, you know, again, there's, there's different levels where, like you were saying, there's different genetic mutations, like in the AKT1 gene, where people are going to be more prone to anxiety. There's the spiritual level of like, what's the consciousness? There's the emotional level or the mental level of like, what's the story you're telling yourself about the sensation you have in your body. And so there's different levels to it. But at the same time, you know, I've found that since I've been interacting with only my own cannabis, and of course, like, you know, the amount of work I've done on myself, I truly feel resonates and, and um, leads directly over into my final product. And that's a big part of what I'm teaching with Grow With Cannabis is not only how to grow it, but how to make sure your energy is right before you've gotten into your grow room, you know, because your plants don't like the same way as like, when you were dad came home, you could tell the second he put the keys in the door, if he was in a good or bad mood, you know? And so yeah. like your plants can tell the second you walk in the room, if it's going to be like, Oh, we got to deal with that energy. Or it's like, Oh, it's nice Ryan time, you know? So <laughs> yeah. no, you're hundred percent right. It's a great way to be able to, uh, to say that a consciousness and energy passes through from plant to person and everything that we do in life. I mean, mycelium, communicates and they communicate yes. and their stress communicates to the trees and to the trees we get fruit and all these different things so there's an interconnection between everything uh speaking of a science experiment i remember my daughter was uh was uh, uh small i think it was in in uh, elementary school or something she had to do an, uh, an experiment where we had three different rooms set up with plants and it wasn't cannabis it was some other plant that were yeah. going. <laughs> but we had we had different music in different rooms so one room had uh, rock music. One room, I think had like pop music, if I remember. And the other room had classical music and we would measure how much the plant grows. And the one that had classical music grew the most. I don't know why. I just think that plant connected with that music, that energy, uh, you know, that frequency sort of connected with the frequency that that plant was growing in. So it makes total sense. And, you know, that, yeah. that experiment anybody can do uh, really, really easily. So I completely agree and concur what, you mentioned um, biogeometry. I, I definitely think yeah. that we probably don't have the time to go really, really deep in it, but just some mm -hmm. high level, if you're going to kind of explain what you mean by biogeometry and how that's utilized yeah. in cultivation. So I love biogeometry it is like one of the things I nerd out on the most. And in my human design, the five, one, five is the heretic. So I question everything. And also the mentor, the one it means investigator. So I love everything about everything, right? And so when it came to biogeometry, you know, I was first turned on to it because I started learning about the dangers of EMFs. And the way I'll break this down for everyone listening is that we have, uh, whether you want to look at it as an aura more spiritually or the scientific term for it, the biofield, right? Which is this, you know, uh, uh, area of energy surrounding our body that within it holds all these frequencies for how our body can heal itself, right? We have the etheric field, Field, we have the mental field, we have the, um, we have the causal field, you know, we have all these different fields in which hold different memories and traumas and everything, right? And so one of the things I always say is that when you were born, your body knew how to grow a kidney, it knew how to grow a liver, right? So why do we ever need to do kidney or liver transplants? If that genetic information is somewhere in your DNA, then shouldn't it be able to be accessed? Well, the answer is yes, right? They've done it in certain experiments. And I think um, either Bruce Lipton or someone did an experiment with this before. And I can't remember the details, but people can look it up. I think it was on Gaia. But, you know, one of the things that the, how they explain it is that this biofield is meant to interact with no interference, right? So imagine you go to a math test and you've studied, right? You've done like you studied for weeks and you know you're going to ace this test. But when you get to that room, someone starts screaming directly in your ear the entire time you're doing that test. Now, no matter how much you've studied, how well are you going to be able to do on that test? Probably not that well. And so, you know, when we look 
look at health, no matter if you're eating healthy and doing all the right things, but you have all these EMFs and all this stuff getting in and interfering with your biofield. Well, eventually, like biogeometry says, there's going to be so much interference that your biofield just falls apart and, and you're not able to, to, to live anymore as a human being. And so what biogeometry seeks to do is it, they call it the design language of shapes, but it's how shapes, colors, um, rotational patterns, et cetera, hold a certain energetic frequency and how we can balance out our environment, our body and other systems through wearing certain shapes, drawing certain shapes in our body. If you want to go that route, you know, having our room in certain things, it's kind of like feng shui's older brother is what I think of it as. But within the grow space, uh, like I mentioned with grow lights and all of these kind of things, you know, it, it sends some interference into the plant's biofield. And so what we can do is we can put certain shapes and certain rotate, we can turn the plots certain ways and test with a pendulum and figure out at what point uh, the plants and the room itself are testing the highest for an energy quality called BG3, which is, you know, really the centering harmonizing energy quality that is coincidentally found at every single sacred site in the world. So I won't get super into ancient Egypt and stuff, but if you guys haven't looked into it, it's wild the technologies they used to have back then. And Tesla tapped into this stuff with the free energy systems he was working on. And of course, spoiler alert, we could have free energy right now if the powers that be wanted that to happen. There's no such thing as an energy shortage or any of the things we have. But, you know, yeah. So, you know, really biogeometry acts as the equalizer in your cultivation space where it allows the plants to breathe that same sigh of relief that you would breathe if in that math test scenario, that person left the room able to have their quiet time to focus on what you're doing. And so really that's how I focus on biogeometry in the grow room. And, you know, it would take a little bit too long to explain out how exactly I do it. But if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out to me. This is going to be one of the main things I put in detail into the course. But if anyone is you know curious about some simple steps i'll give you guys some simple steps for that no problem so yeah it's it's amazing it's changed my life i wear the wearables all the time they're on me i've taken the foundations course you know i balanced out all the ley lines and grid lines in my house and everything and it's fascinating man you know it's you know when people interact with 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 my cannabis you know when i share it with friends They'll, they'll say, you know, Paul's famous for saying, like, it feels like I'm smoking biogeometry. Like, there's no buzz there. I mean, he he thought it was outdoor grown. He's like, oh, wow, you're on the side of the sun. And I was like, no, I, I did it inside, you know, a couple of plants under a light. And he was like, I've never interacted with indoor grown cannabis that didn't have a buzz to it. What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm doing biogeometry. And so, again, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, but it's been a very interesting experiment to run, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super cool. I, I really think it makes total sense. Um Talk, talk to us about your courses and about your coursework and your, uh, your retreats and all that other stuff. Uh, where can people get more information about that? How do they engage with you? You know, the best place to find me is on Instagram at the real Ryan Sprague. And my last name is S-P-R-A-G-U-E. That's my personal account. I'm on there every day. Um, you can also find me on the business account at highly.optimize where we're constantly giving out information, uh, pertaining to the courses, which I'll get into in a second. And then I also have two podcasts, the highly optimized podcast, which showcases conscious leaders living life beat of their own drum and the, this one time on psychedelics podcast, where if you like going down some rabbit holes, we get direct firsthand experiences of, you know, or firsthand tales of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever expanding uh, world of plant medicines. And with the courses, you know, we've had five groups go through Connect with Cannabis, which is a 12 week certification program where you can go through and have the direct experience through 10 different modalities, everything from Tai Chi to breath work, to manifestation, to story work, to limiting belief work, to everything of how cannabis uh, can help as a powerful tool for self-development and self-awareness. And the so that is that you can gain connection in your life. Because like I said in the beginning, I don't think we have a loneliness epidemic. Society has this thing they do where they look at the problem as the result, right? When it really, it's reversed. And so another great example of that is, oh, technology is so addicting. Is it that technology is addicting or your life isn't enjoyable enough, right? Like, because I'll tell you what, when I'm doing something I really love, I don't think about the phone that otherwise I would be on all day, you know? And so they think about these things a lot. And so the program is absolutely fantastic. Our next round starts on July 22nd. You know, people that go through it, they have the option to go through it. Uh, it's a group program. So we go through it with a group and we get to hop on calls and share and, you know, other people fill in gaps for other people's experiences. We really go on a shared hero's journey of, you know, allowing cannabis to act as this powerful tool for self-development, self-awareness. And, 
you know, it's, it's really cool being able to understand the language cannabis speaks in, you know, how to form a conscious relationship with it. Because when you do, you know, I really think cannabis is a shy spirit. So very similar to how, like, if you're a shy person, you know, if someone meets you and they're, you know, and they're just meeting you, they're probably not going to know your full story. But as you start doing your end of the bargain, cannabis starts going, okay, I'll show you a little bit more. And so we really allow people to transform their belief system around cannabis and therefore transform their entire lives as a result. Because once you realize that, you know, you can do a lot of your own coaching and a lot of this own stuff, when you understand how to work with a plant in a co-creative relationship, everything changes. And so that's Connect With Cannabis. And then we have Grow With Cannabis coming out, which is going to be a course we're releasing. We're also going to run it as a program too, but uh, that's going to be how to form a cult, uh, how to cultivate a sacred relationship with the plant through cultivating it. Because I look at metaphors in life and I really think that cultivation is synonymous with self-development and self-development is synonymous with cultivation. Because what is self-development? You're cultivating yourself. What is cultivation? You're actually developing something, right? And so I really, I really seek to fill in the missing components of how what most people need is, you know, with connect with cannabis, we look at this a lot, you know, how most people do more harm than good with cannabis, because they're just not getting any guidance with it. And so with grow with cannabis, we know that many people come home after a long day, and they need what's called a recognition ritual to go from their worker identity into husband, father, boyfriend, friend, etc, right, they need that gap. And so what grow with cannabis does is it allows people to come home, shower, get into their cultivation space, feel the energy of that feminine component of their lives, right? That feminine component of cannabis and be able to come out of that room, ready to go be dad, ready to go be husband, et cetera. And the best part is they don't actually need to interact with cannabis nightly to be able to get that energy once they're growing it. And that's like the missing gap, right? Because most people are like, well, this is my relaxation. And so when we're able to do it this way, we're able to uh, stop that pattern of dependency because at the end of the day, it's not that cannabis is addictive or cannabis is dependent forming. It's that cannabis can provide feelings of comfort because it's a feminine medicine that for people living in discomfort is really addicting, you know? And so that's one of the main things I focus on. Uh, yeah, man. So I ask my guests usually these uh, very complicated uh, questions. So now, <laughs> now that you've completed uh, the first part of this, which was great. Now get ready for the second one because it's really complicated. I'm ready. <laughs> really... Lay it on me, Lynn. <laughs> All right. Please describe your first experience with cannabis. Ooh, okay. This is a hilarious story. So I'll describe the first one that hit me because the first one was kind of boring. I didn't know if I inhaled right or whatever. I was like Bill Clinton. But the first time that I really experienced it, I was at a friend's party whose dad was a state trooper and he was out working. So of course we're all partying in our house, underage drinking. And uh, cause for some reason, you know, that's a common thread with people whose parents are cops is that's always the house we underage drink. And I'm like, I don't know how this happens. So we were drinking. I had like maybe two beers and I was never really a big drinker cause it never really worked for me. I would just get a headache. But I remember at a certain point, my buddy who was very crafty had taken a toy lightsaber and taken like, you know how you throw it and all like the different plastic pieces come out. He had taken all the plastic pieces out except one and made it into a steamroller. He had drilled a hole in it, put a bowl in it. And so you could light it up and smoke uh, cannabis through it. And it would be like a uh, lightsaber. Right. And so I remember I, I had, I had smoked maybe once or twice. And this night I was like, screw it. I'm here. I'm staying over. What's, what's the worst that could happen. And so I take some huge hits off the steamroller. <laughs> I don't feel anything right at the bat. So I walk inside all confident. This is nothing. I'm not going to feel anything. And then all of a sudden I wake up on a different couch and I just come to, and I'm like in the middle of a conversation with someone. I'm like, what just happened? And then like slowly over the next 10 minutes, I started remembering visions of like the last hour where I was like blacking out essentially. Like, and I went into one room and saw my friend who was like, also, I don't know, maybe blacking out, but he was on the ground laughing. And I started to remember all this, like it was a dream. And then uh, my friends, you know, being 17 and goofy, they coffined me, which I don't know if you know what a coffin is, but I fell asleep on the couch and they flipped the other couch up on top of me. Mm -hmm. And so I got coffined. Yeah. And so that was my first experience really interacting with cannabis. And it was hilarious. Um, and, you know, I look back and I'm like, I wouldn't do that now, but I'm really glad I had that first experience because it really allowed me to respect the medicine after that. I realized, oh, this is very powerful right. and right. I need to do this responsibly. 100%. That's a great story. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I'm a big music guy uh, and I have some music related questions. You already talked about, you know, your, your festivals yeah. and, and music. Uh, do you remember what was the first concert you ever attended? 
uh, Aerosmith, Run DMC, and Kid Rock at uh, the Garden, uh, not the Garden, the, um, uh, I think it was at that point, the Great Woods. It's uh, half outside, half inside. And uh, I was 11 years old. And I remember there was like strippers on stage. And I remember even like, this is awesome. My dad was like, you're welcome. You know, that kind of, you know, hunch. And uh, I remember my uncle was good friends with the manager of Aerosmith. So he was like second row. I remember smelling cannabis everywhere and not knowing about it. But that was my first concert. And it was absolutely amazing. We went in a limo and everything. It was super cool. Do you, do you remember your last one you attended? My last concert I went to. Yeah, actually, I do. It was Lane 8 at Red Rocks uh, back in, uh, when was it? Was it October? Yeah, it was October. And so I'm huge into electronic music. I'm huge into pretty much every type of music. I love, you know, I love metal growing up. That was my whole thing. Um, I love electronic music of all different sorts. Everything from Psytrance to, you know, dubstep to house to techno to everything. And so I saw Lane 8 at Red Rocks and that was amazing. And I have tickets this year to go to Electric Forest, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pull it off. Off. It's my favorite festival on planet Earth. For anyone listening, go. <laughs> so <laughs> the best. so that, that's why I want to ask you. Uh, you already made a festival mm. uh, suggestion recommendation. Uh, any mm-hmm. any music anybody should check out that uh, you think uh, you're listening to? Say, uh, check out this DJ yes. or check something like that out? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I'll give a couple because with music, I can never think of just one. Okay. So I would say if you want something that's really beautiful, I'm going to give all electronic music recommendations. But for people listening, it's not going to be electronic music that you might think of if you don't like electronic music. So definitely check them out. There's this group called Weekend Players that released one album in 2003 absolutely amazing look up weekend players and look up uh uh, into the sun and i'll be there uh those two songs are absolutely incredible and then other than that what i would say is check out desert dwellers desert dwellers is one of my all-time favorite acts um they do like deep you know kind of dark house side dub type music um lane eight is amazing uh, and then let's see, what's a fourth one that I've been riffing on. Let me go into my Spotify real quick. I always, it's funny, you know, I go through different phases of music, but, um, let's see who else, who else, um, I would say, oh, uh, I, O. so it's I underscore O and look up a song called drift away. That song Great. is amazing. Love it's it. One of my all time favorites right now. Lo- love to give <laughs> recommendations for stuff uh, that people yes. listen to. Awesome. Hell yeah. Thank you. All right. So. Yeah. What what has cannabis meant in your life? So in my life, you know, cannabis has really given me the opportunity to question everything and to realize that the point of life is not to know anything at the end of this, but to actually be liberated in the sense of realizing that I don't know anything and that I get to just be a fun participant in this experience we call life. And so cannabis has been my ability to question everything, my ability to be my authentic self and not care what anyone thinks about it, my ability to connect deeper to the world around me, to those I love, to myself and the important work I'm doing. And it's really given me so much opportunity to have so much laughter in my life. And I really think that as the saying goes, laughter is the best medicine. 100% agreed. All right. So you qualify for a bonus question. It's our last one. Yes. So please describe what your room looked like growing up. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, my room was big. Uh, it, it wasn't like crazy big, but it was just my, my parents put an addition on the house and they gave me one of the bedrooms. And so I was an only child. Um, so uh, when I was first uh, like a child, it was pretty plain. When I was around 15, I decided one day it'd be fun to go to Spencer's and get a bunch of blacklight paint and it's supposed to wash off so I can just write all over the walls. Well, it didn't wash off. And so I had everything from uh, very horrendous things on my walls to, you know, people signing my walls. And so it was pretty wild uh, growing <laughs> up where, you know, I had black lights, you know, going to a Dappy or Spencer's, that was pretty much like my room growing up once I got to like be 14. So I had the incense burning. I had the Bob Marley posters on the wall of him smoking weed before I ever knew I wanted to smoke weed. Like I was just saying no and had this poster sitting on my wall that actually yesterday I podcasted with a guy named Mark Steves, who runs a podcast called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. And he has the poster on his wall. I'm like, dude, that is literally a blast from the past. <laughs> it says, when you smoke the herb, it reveals you to yourself. And uh, so I had that on my wall for years. It was a premonition, you know, but that's what my room looked like when I was growing up. <laughs> Love it, man. That's great. Love it. Cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hey, Ryan, I want to thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate your contribution and that you already shared your your social media and where to find you. So Thank you so much. And I'm um, looking forward to uh, being on your podcast as well. So yes. You're great. Thank you, Len. I appreciate it. It was a blast. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, man. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.